So welcome back to Beyond the Facade. I believe this is our 10th episode. Woo! 10 episodes. Yeah, 10 episodes strong. I mean, it, it kind of went by fast and and we probably have a lot more to go, but 10 is double digits. So we're happy about that. Yeah, um, we're nearly in the team. Chronicles. This is Observing Squaw. I'm Sabrina. I'm Observing Spooks and Other Vices. Yes, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you for those that are supporting and listening to our discussions. Yes, more content coming again. Let us know, inbox us if there's something you want to hear, something in particular, because I'm sure we've, one of us or both of us have already been involved, know about it or experienced it. So let us know, inbox us. Yeah, so today's episode is very interesting. And we're going to be focusing again on Harbor area because this is kind of the area that we grew up in. We're going to talk about Eastside Wilmas, as it's known as, Eastside Wilmas. I mean, that's kind of like the hood way to say it, but it's east side of Wilmington. Yes. Yes. Just down the street from me, it, technically. And why the east side of Wilmington? I mean, to me, I have a long history with knowing the area and different, probably different times in my life. And it kind of hasn't changed aesthetically. Maybe tiny bits in other ways, but there's a lot to Eastside Wilmington, and that's why we're going to talk, because there's a, a lot of interesting history there. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really the beginning of the greater Los Angeles. And we know Los Angeles was established, you know, in the 1800s, and Wilmington was as well. Wilmington, coming from Phineas Banning, who came from Wilmington, Delaware. So that's where Wilmington gets the name from. And so this area has a lot of deep history going back pretty far. Yes. And we did an episode already on the Banning family, the Banning house. We focused on Wilmington once before. And the reason this, the second part, I guess, is because there's a lot of stuff that's happened in the east side of Wilmington. And not that it hasn't happened in the west side. And we'll explain the division. Something about the east side is very mysterious, very odd, I guess. Odd. It has a different air about it. Yeah. And there's various reasons. And okay, so let me just kind of like paint the picture of what the east, where the east side of Wilmington is at. So if you know Wilmington, it's not a very big city, actually. It's pretty small. I mean, there's a lot of, it's a good population size, but it's not like humongous. Like Long Beach is way bigger. I believe Torrance is probably bigger. Um, I don't know if Carson is, but Carson's tiny. So it's it's small as well. I mean, there's two sides to Wilmington, but it's it's not huge. It's not tiny, but it's not huge either. So the main streets that cross Wilmington, like the parts we're kind of looking into, is Pacific Coast Highway. That runs, you know, parallel towards Long Beach, and then the other side would be Anaheim. Boulevard is Anaheim Boulevard or Anaheim Street I think Anaheim Street those are kind of like the borders there's other streets on the outskirts of it but those are main streets that kind of go towards Long Beach or going up towards you know um, Harbor City Lomita and you know the 110 freeway the main street we're looking at into is Avalon Boulevard which is in the center of Wilmington where you would call the downtown of Wilmington 
obviously Figueroa is like the border of it, but we're looking at Avalon. And then on the other end, we're looking more towards Alameda. However, it does extend further into a different location of Wilmington, which we call Third World. And we'll explain that as we talk. But Alameda and a little bit below that is Third World. So the borders are that we're going to be talking about is below Avalon kind of between Alameda and then a little bit about Third World, which is below Alameda, borderline Long Beach. This area, it's kind of industrial. I guess it has an industrial element because it's there's a lot of areas that are just purely industrial, you know, warehouses, and there's connection to the port there. And then there's like a, a neighborhood area. So it has a good size, you know, obviously area for houses and apartments and stuff, but it has like the industrial element built in sort of, right? <laughs> It certainly does. And it goes further past those borders we were discussing. I mean, even toward Carson and refineries. So it's very industrial. Which kind of like when Phineas decided to move there or start there was because of the a lot of the port expansion. Well, he created the port and all that stuff, right? Like, he did. That was kind of part of why he wanted to be near that area. For some reason, I guess where it's at located it kind of just stayed very industrial, like at the edge of the the port, the waterfront. But it, it doesn't look like that in San Pedro. There's not very much industrial there. So it's kind of kept some of the element. It has. It really has. You can tell that there's a lot imported at any given time. If you just take a, a drive down there, you'll see the big rigs. Freeways are just right, right there. You, and you can't miss it. And if you go further down Avalon, further down, let's say, Figueroa, going towards San Pedro, and you'll see how the whole harbor connects and you'll see the mass in industrialization right there but of course that's not in the perimeters we're discussing but just to give you an overall picture look up the vincent thomas bridge if you're not familiar with the area try to um, look on google earth and just look it looks like you're driving or you look you're viewing like concrete city and an industrialized city i live in carson and often i travel to long beach i often travel down willow willow's not quite wilmington but it's still the outskirts of pulvera to willow and you can just see these mass refineries that encompass both carson and wilmington you can only imagine what the quality of life is in those areas and who rents places close to big industrial conglomerates like that people who can't afford much else and i'll say myself including Rent's very expensive now, and it's it's interesting. It's like where the concrete meets the grass and meets life. It's industrialization and life beings trying to coexist, and sometimes not always cohesively. There's a lot of industrial cities, you know, like when we went to visit the Sleepy Lagoon area. I mean, it's all industrial. However, that looks a little bit different, I would say. Obviously more modern. A lot of the industry here in Wilmington is way older. It's kind of dilapidated, forgotten. There's a lot of like auto wrecking yards and auto mechanic shops. A lot of that. Just kind of warehouses with kind of no name. It's, it's It doesn't have like that modern industry look that, you know, some industrial areas have. Even like City of Commerce and like those cities are look more, even Vernon kind of looks more... Like, yeah, it's this industry has names of places. Wilmington is a little different. It doesn't have a lot of that. There's a lot of empty lots as well. A lot of corrugated uh, fences with 
who knows what inside so it's it's very low-key very mysterious there's a odd feeling and there's a lot of history there it feels like it's got an underbelly of life that we don't even see if you were to turn off the lights and go investigate with a flashlight in the evening you'd probably see people living and thriving in their own strange way that we would never see in the daytime that's how sketchy it kind of is in certain areas of that parameter that we're discussing. And just like any other city in this area, or especially in the 90s, there was a lot of gang violence and things like that. I mean, it was not just there. I mean, it's it was all over the place. And to this day, there's still stuff going on in, that's, in that part of Winton, but all the, also the other parts. But aside that, there's still other things that kind of bring it to more like darker type of vibes that it has going there. And we'll kind of describe that. So we're going to talk about some of the oldest history uh, with the, there's an old cemetery with, you know, Sabrina's going to talk about there. And then we're going to talk about several kind of high profile murders that happened just on that little east side of Wilmington alone through the years. And that these are just high profile. There's also been many that just never got highlighted or never talked about. So there's a lot of deaths that's happened for various reasons, you know, to this day, it's gotten better, thankfully, but it, 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 because of the destruction that had it had before, I guess it has that leftover feeling from the past, right? Of of the you know atrocities that happened in that area. I think that's very um, safe to say. Definitely, it kind of foreshadows what it, it could possibly be. I mean, Wilmington has the the west side and the east side have this the potential of the community comes together to really make it amazing and it's mm-hmm. it's starting to there's so many things that are happening we have art walks over there and there's a lot of stuff that's happening so who knows maybe in 10 years from now it will really be the community coming together to take the city back for themselves and maybe push away some of the industrialization and some of the crime and act, uh, activity, negative activity going on in there. It is beautiful. I was, if you guys have listened to our podcast about the Batty Museum a mm-hmm. couple of episodes ago. So I was a docent there actively and sometimes inactive for about a decade. And um, it's still one of my favorite places to go. If you've ever been to Banning Park, it's gorgeous. You know, you have this amazing mansion in the middle of the park and it's well kept. It's It's just magnificent in my opinion but it's a beautiful house and it's a great history and it's some and the history of los angeles and what it is today and what makes california so great today because of the imports that we get off off of from wilmington from making wilmington the port that it is today with that said you know there's always death wherever there's life there's death there's this quaint little cemetery that if you don't know about it you would never know where it's at it's right off Eubank, just past PCH, kind of across the street from Benning Park. It's across the street. It's just kind of across and on the other side a little bit, but it's not far. You could see it if you like look up, like down down the way. One of the oldest cemeteries in Los Angeles, and it doesn't give its it it doesn't get enough attention at all. It's not beautiful like um, a lot of the cemeteries that you think about in d- downtown Los Angeles. It's it's not. I think that's part of the problem is that. Los Angeles is beautiful in a lot of areas and Wilmington is much more, maybe not rural now. It's definitely a a town and definitely inhabited, but I think during the time it was much more rural and they didn't put a lot of effort. It's kind of unfair 
in my opinion, especially because we live in the harbor area. We grew up in the harbor area and it's sad that it's not as highlighted as the greater Los Angeles because it's a lovely area to live. I mean, maybe not in the industrialized west side of Wilmington or east side of Wilmington, but in general, you know, like the harbor area is lovely. Cemetery is kind of sad. Actually, yeah, it's really sad. It, it, it has the containers all around it, which is <laughs> even sadder. <laughs> yes. It kind of has a put off. Like, mm-hmm. who wants to go in? I mean, of course, besides weird people like myself, who wants to go into a cemetery and sit by their loved one or have a picnic if, you know, that's your thing? Who wants to go in a cemetery and look off and you see all these uh, containers, debris? What kind of containers are they? Describe those. They're the metal containers, the ones that come off the ships from China and all the different countries that we get imports from. And they're just all over the place. And it's just, it's just an odd sight to see. It's not something you would expect right there in the community. So let me re- remind you when I talk about the cemetery that's across from Banning Park. It is literally across the street from house. Like if you you go and look at your street and you see the house across your street, that's where Banning Park or Ban- the Wilmington Cemetery is at. It's literally across the street. It's on a kind of a main street. It's on Eubank. If you go down further, there's all little main or little streets, little residential streets where people live right by. But it doesn't, I don't know. I don't feel like it's spooky. Sometimes people get scared about cemeteries. I don't think that it's spooky because if you just drove right past it and didn't know, you would just think it's like an empty lot because there's not much going on in there. It's right next to the train tracks, the container. It's like the wall of containers and then the train tracks and then like a dead end street. And then across is like a public storage, empty lot. Yeah, not really much around it. Kind of an odd position. I mean, it's it's been there. So it's been there since the beginning. But the way they built around it is just kind of odd. What's the big deal with the cemetery? How has it been since throughout the years it's unloved and they've had a bunch of controversy i would like to didn't phineas start it or something he did um he started it for one of his children he has five children i believe buried there and his wife his first wife rebecca banning is buried there and we went and visited them and said hello to them and let me see if i could share the screen so i could show um yep Okay, so this is, that's her, right? That's one of the children. Oh, one of the children, okay. At one, it looks like four months. Uh Uh-huh. So John Banning, and that's John Griffith. And you see the dates. Note that it's 1859. I like this name, Mm -hmm. Banning. I think it's just because it goes together really well because of the double ends and the A. (laughs) Oh, this is somebody else, Sergeant or something, right? Yeah, from the Civil War era. So there are a lot of Civil War soldiers there. Yeah, there's there's a good handful. So the cemetery, again, is kind of sad and lonely. There's not really a lot of um, headstones sticking out, which I'm biased, but that's what I really like. And there goes William Banning. Is that a, a kid too? Oh, 48 years old. Or a brother. Yeah, looks like a, a sibling of Phineas. Yeah. There's a lot of history with the Banning family. So he 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 wanted the space for his kid? Yeah. Imagine the property. It's If you would try to remember this back in the 1800s, you know, the mid, late. 1800s it was all connected back then there wasn't roads it doesn't look like how it looks now he started the cemetery specifically for the children that died at birth or died you know his children that died because he had many children with his first wife his first wife ended up dying and she was buried there as well Phineas Banning was initially buried there as well just like any proper second wife she was like fuck that shit she snatched him out and had him buried reburied at Rosedale 
Is it that weird though or no? I don't know. I'm trying to, I'm trying to see, I'm trying to be open and subjective. At first I'm like that, you know, like he belongs with Rebecca, but Rebecca was like the first half of his life. And you know, if my husband was buried next to his first wife, I'd be like, oh, bad shit. But I guess the idea of Probably. Really digging his grave, I don't know. It just seems like, dude, just a, a little like- excessive. <laughs> yeah, I like, will he's say dead. he's dead. He's not having an affair with her. <laughs> <laughs> I but will I say know. that he re- I think that he deserves and I'm not saying that Rebecca Batting, his first wife, who's buried there with his other children, don't deserve this as well. But I feel like Phineas deserves something a little bit more extravagant because i I, I guess i could see it that way like if it was which we do have to go visit i we will the place is right there like in pico union area which i was like yeah yes we have to go rosedale Um, you said or rose rosedale dell uh-huh yeah we're gonna we're definitely going because now cemeteries in la than we really think you know yes yes and it's so funny is our friendship that we've had for so long and now look at you you're always in the cemetery with me (laughs) i love it well let's just get a mausoleum now so we can go sit in there (laughs) and drink our energy drinks and like do our you know research so the the new wife i guess he died before her obviously he did had him reburied at rosedale and so his family his kids are there and he's over there with her, and I don't know if there's other people over there with them, but that's interesting. Yeah, I didn't research that far into it. Um, I don't know of his living or of his living children that like made it to adulthood. Yeah. yeah, I don't know where they're buried at, and they could be buried in different areas because you know he had the three sons, his first wife that made it to adulthood, and then the two daughters that made it to adulthood with his second wife. So I'm not sure where they're. They're probably spread out, but I'd say probably safe to stay they're probably somewhere in california but i'm not sure if it's rosedale but they are together phineas and his second wife mary are in rosedale so what was the controversy with the place oh my goodness in the late 80s early 90s there were it was the major con controversy was that caretaker i believe his name was his last name was poland and he was the person i don't know if he was the caretaker like on site the one who cut the grass but he was definitely the one overseeing everything there was many people buried that were not being buried properly so for instance there's a law of like how far the people a deceased person has to be buried underground And I believe from the article I read, it was supposed to be three feet, at least here in California at the time. Three feet underneath underneath the the surface of of the ground. And they found multiple multiple bodies, multiple coffins that were not, that were just buried under the surface, like less than a foot. Wow. Yes. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine walking to go see your loved one? And all like it's a rainy day and it's been a rainy season and you're walking to see your loved one and you slip on a frigging coffin. Oh my god. Uh, I don't know how, you know, someone else would feel if that happened, but I don't think it'd be very nice. Some people were found buried not in coffins, buried with multiple people in their in their plot. A lot of people were not buried in the place that they were told they were gonna be buried. The his records were atrocious. They were horrible. He was taking money from families, various different amounts. They say on average between 300 and 500 and they never got like the deed to the plot and they never got 
headstones. And I believe when the investigators came in, he claimed that there was a break-in. So all that information had been stolen because when people break in to the cemetery, they steal that kind of information for some reason, I guess. (laughs) And so it was a huge controversy. From what I read in 1992 from an article, they eventually righted the wrongs of all the, I think there was 150 people or 151 people. All of them except one were able to put them in their proper plot or rebury them in their own spot because he just fucked up so bad. That happened similarly in Compton with that Angeles cemetery with you know, people not buried in the right place or buried with wrong for whatever way is weird. And it's sad. It's really sad. And in an article, I should have wrote it down, but I read, they said something that was pretty profound. And I'm going to paraphrase here because I can't remember what it said verbatim. It said something to the fact of like, when you bury someone, you like bury your loved one and you kind of bury your emotions and you have to deal with it. The loss on a day to day basis But when you have to retake them out and bury them again, all those memories get unburied. They get out of the dirt and they come up all over again. So it's almost like a double whammy. It's like you have to grieve that main grief twice. And can you imagine the people going to the wrong spots this entire time? And everyone feels different about death. And so everyone has their own feelings. A lot of people, I know I would be upset if I went to go visit my grandparents and my father realized that at some point that that wasn't them there. I'm glad I would have been sitting there with somebody else, but I came there to see my, you know, my grandparents and my father. So I can understand how people would be very upset. It would be very upsetting, traumatizing even. Was there something, I'm not sure if I read it right. Was there any, something about like the soil messing up or like the, the ground? like sinking in or something i don't recall reading that i do recall uh, the the issue with the, the coffins not being buried low enough yeah so they may have become exposed and maybe that's what you're thinking and maybe i either what you're referring to i just don't recall it there was a lot of things wrong they weren't burying the coffins properly or you know bodies were being buried in the the lining and not the coffin and things like that. So there was a bunch of strange things going on. And not to mention the money, the amounts of money that these people were out without their official deeds to the plots and without headstones. Yeah, I think it it connects with what you said, because I'm reading here, the soil at historic Wilmington Cemetery is so damp from the rain this winter that the grave markers are sinking. Got it. Most of the affected graves about 15 to 20 were recent were for recent burials that had to been a long time ago because it hasn't rained here in like fucking no yeah this is from (laughs) 2017 which is oh wow that was not not that long long ago ago, i guess whatever's happening is not they're not burying these bodies correctly if just rain is gonna cause that issue right it shouldn't at least you know when you go to cemetery you shouldn't expect that unless we're in a louisiana where they got a built bury them differently right because of yeah for flood water and stuff like that i mean it's hard to say because we don't experience rain at that that kind of a level over here in california in this area so maybe the cemetery just wasn't prepared for that it's hard to say but in general it's just a sad little forgotten cemetery i would also like to add that i was uh, someone did reach out to me to tell me a little bit of a story that she had an experience. And thank you, viewers, for inboxing us and letting us know um, your stories. So Cecilia, 
she said she was, I'm pulling it up guys. So in case you think I'm looking off the side, I'm pulling it up. She said that she was at a craft day at the cemetery for day of the dead. She heard chitter chatter as what she described as chitter chatter all around with a very um, heavy energy around where they were at. She couldn't place it. There were kids, but not a lot of kids to make that chitter chatter. And she made it seem like there were they were kids with the chitter chatter. She also has a couple of friends that are buried there. And she said that she doesn't regularly feel spiritual things, but she felt negative presence or negative feelings or energy off of potential spirits surrounding her because she thinks it's because that they were buried in the wrong place and they're trying to find where they're buried and trying to alert their family where they're buried. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, if it's already been an issue since the 80s and could it be that maybe her own her family or loved one is also not in the right place who knows that's what she's thinking and thank you so much cecilia for uh reaching out to us and giving us your experience yeah definitely in general for you because i know you really love banning and their his history what is like the thought of the, this place for you because it's connected to that and what because I know you love cemeteries, but this one, again, is not that, I guess, attracting, I would say. But it has that history in it, too. So, Yes, and I think that for someone to be a lover of the cemetery and to, to someone who, who communes with the dead on a regular basis, that I can be a cemetery snob, but I shouldn't be. And I think that I can appreciate the architecture and all the extra stuff that they have on these amazing cemeteries wilmington cemetery has none of it it lacked quite a bit the connection to the banning one of the oldest cemeteries in los angeles and it's not far from me and if you recall when we went there just recently we went what a couple weeks ago Mm -hmm. we sat there on the little cement bench probably for an hour had the loveliest breeze And I can't discount that. It was a lovely little spot. I think that I want to make an effort to try to be a part of the cemetery a little bit more because I feel like I've neglected it. One of my favorite cemeteries is just down the way. It's on Sunnyside or the Long Beach Municipal because there are two of them right next to each other. And um, they're amazing and they look amazing with the headstones coming out and it's open. And I love that cemetery. But I think that it's also good to come back and be where it all started and really pay attention and love on the cemetery that I that is connected to the family that I care about so deeply or the one the one the dead family of the Mannings I don't know any living ones so that's the history of the cemetery so the next stories we're going to kind of comment on are just like I said the high profile crimes that have happened for some reason they're always connected to the east side the first one that happened in the 90s was in 1995 there was Two employees of Ramona's Bakery is an old bakery from the 30s that used to be in San Pedro, the old Art Deco building actually on Pacific, and it was known for their birthday cakes or whatnot. It closed down probably early 2000s, if that, I think. It was a well-known bakery here in San Pedro. And they had two employees named Rosa Maria, she was 37, and Rutilio Ramirez, he was 42. And they worked at the bakery for about 10 years. And the story goes that they had a van and they were gathering clothing and different items because they were going to give them, they were going to go to Mexico 
wherever they're from to donate to families in need. I mean, they had donations from people that, you know, they were no, they, they, they knew that they were going to go to Mexico and give those donations. I guess one night after getting off work, they never returned home. And they did have family, like children, I guess maybe young and some adolescent age. So they were going to be aware of like, why aren't our parents home, right? Somehow it was obviously reported that they were missing. And I don't know the time frame of when they found them. They were found in the east side on M Street, which is down there, kind of industrial area, in their van. And they were pretty much murdered execution style. Wow. Very up close. There, it didn't show that they were robbed, though, like for their stuff or anything, which is very odd. Um, And it and wasn't it- like a suicide or nothing because there's no weapons found or anything like that. And they were pretty good, normal people. So it's just, it was, it's unsolved. It, it was never solved or there's no trace of what could have happened. How sad. Yeah. And this was, they were found in the area, I believe, uh, more towards third world which third world is strictly industrial it's mostly like scrap yards auto dismantling anything auto i think there's a strip club down there it's very grimy and it, we used to go down there for graffiti related purposes <laughs> but there is a couple of streets down i mean there are streets and the streets are actually dirt roads some of them they were never like actually paved streets so that's why we called it third world because some of the streets were just never paved you don't see sidewalks so it's very underdeveloped and that's where they were found in that area there is one street in third world that has houses only like three houses on that street really rural back there and then a refinery all around it it's trippy but they were found there and just never solved just a really sad Sad case. The the and the next one is uh Monique Arroyo, and we we did mention her in the Banny episode because she actually was a a young girl, I think twelve years old at the time, and she lived across the street from Banning House in one of the kind of big mansion looking homes. Or they're just big. There's a lot of like colonial style homes there. Yes, that's very cute. I suggest you go take a drive down there, and I will plug um. Between Christmas and December, but there's like it's one or two streets with like nice like colonial houses. It's a mixture of architecture, but there's a couple of like houses that kind of match. Yeah, the some storybook, even maybe the Tudor here and there. It's really cute. Right. This young lady or young girl was living with her family there, and I guess they were gonna film a movie in her house because her house again looked very unique on the outside. You know, very old school. So. Whatever movie or film they were going to do, they were going to use her house as a scene of some sort. The director or producer was going to allow her to be like in a background or something of the film. So she was really excited. She shared with her friends at school. She she was going to school down the street at the Catholic school, Holy Family on L Street. She was going to be filming the next day. But then that same night, she was found missing, I guess, in the middle of the night. I'm not sure like why her, her mom ended up checking on her i don't know if she she typically checked on her or it was right before she went to bed or whatnot and found that she was missing and i think they found her blanket in a driveway so it, it became obviously a huge thing and you know she was missing for like three or four days and there were it was on the news all the neighborhood was involved it, it was even where across the county people were helping to try to look for her or even further, because it was like a huge, you know, like, wow, it was really scary, right? Yes. Um, but this girl was just missing from her room, so what was happening? Well, it ends up that 
the they found her unfortunately um rolled up in a carpet or like some kind of blanket maybe a thick carpet or blanket in a lot on the east side as well on the street called Dominguez near Anaheim which is an empty lot they found her body you know nude and there were signs of abuse four days later they found her body there you know through the whole investigation and everything they ended up pinpointing it on her uncle which was the brother of the mother and his name was Eloy Loy I'm not sure why he, that name's kind of odd but Eloy Loy and it was just odd because the uncle had already done 14 years in prison for a rape and assault prior the other fat whoever his family like i mean they didn't really know that he he had these charges it was kind of kept hush hush so that's why they had him around like you know like he was just like the, the cool uncle or the nice uncle at the time right it wasn't they didn't really know his history apparently he struck again and and he committed that crime unfortunately and he is currently on death row he's still appealing the case to this day 2020 the last time he appealed but did you ever hear that story yes it, it's cloudy cloudy and what year was that again can you remind 1996 us? it's very cloudy because that's the year my daughter was born my oldest daughter so that was 25 years ago it's kind of cloudy i vaguely remember it very vaguely though i didn't hear about it at the time i heard about it way later it's definitely your worst nightmare looking at it now it's interesting because that lot where she was found that lot is still that lot like till this day and that's the thing about the the i was we were saying about the east side like there hasn't been a lot of redevelopment at all through the years to use some of these empty lots for maybe more housing or something else they literally been empty lots that have no welcome sign to it <laughs> it, it looks almost like urban a modern urban ghost town in some areas. Just like there's no life except the, the grass that's growing out of the cracks of the cement. Right. It's not even like, it. maybe if it's going to be empty, okay, make it a park or something, right? A bland lot with trash and those thick, heavy weeds that poke your skin. Anyhow, that lot, I had friends that lived on the east side growing up and we would go near that lot, you know, just to do teenage things like smoke and experiment with smoking and i remember going into that lot with maybe two or three friends uh -huh. my other friend a girl one of our two guy friends and we were in in the lot smoking or whatnot and we were in between containers because there's containers there used to be containers there there was a lot of dumping that happens in the east side like trash dumping and there was like random containers and stuff everywhere. Like nobody's going to tell you to move it. Like who's going to tell you, you know? Yeah. What On what authority? Like who's going to even see it? While we were there, there was a weirdo. We'll just call him that. Came up to one of my friends and he was like trying to solicit us young girls. And we got so upset that he said that. He tried to solicit, you know, favors and whatnot. And we started throwing stuff at him and we ran like, let's get the hell out of here. Yes. And we ran and we were, you know, we we're only 15. We we're kids and we we're throwing stuff at him and calling him stuff. And he was a grown man. He was in like a, even if he was a teenager, but still he was a grown man. There is always like weird shady stuff going on in some of these lots and stuff. And it's fortunately that she was found like in that, in that lot a few years prior to us going to that lot. I think we went around 98. She was found in 96. I'm not sure what happened with the family of Monique, if they stayed there or if they moved away. I mean, I'm not sure. After that time, it just there's no other follow-up on that. I don't know 
if any of you guys know this family, but hopefully they're doing okay because that's a really sad story. Very sad. Another thing we wanted to talk about was, I guess it's infamous or famous. I don't know how you want to say it. L Street. Why L Street? <laughs> Maybe because it's like a little bend. The L. I'm talking about the O. That was a really silly analogy. But L Street is also kind of like the main street that usually people go down into. It's not the only street, but it's the main street that cuts in between Anaheim and PCH. So it's another kind of main street people go they use to get down to the east side. I mean, L Street is also famous because the gang uh, that took that territory the l street territory but there's several other gangs through the area but that was one of them so i guess it was always mentioned because of that too but a lot of stuff has happened on l street for some reason i mean l street has it's almost been like a boulevard of sorts even though it's not a boulevard it's just a residential street maybe because it's more of a main one more traveled on maybe the the next thing that happened there was let's fast forward to 2009 and again there has been a lot of stuff on l street that just wasn't documented or was very brief, right? There's been a lot of like shootings and things like that. Throughout the time, there's been others besides what we mentioned. But in, in 2009, there was a very scary incident with the murder-suicide. I, I remember hearing that on the news. I don't know if you did when that first came out. I did. I remember it. But I didn't take it so personal like as I do now in a sense. So this happened in 2009. At first, I thought it was because it was like the recession time, right? So it was a family, husband, wife, and five children. It was not just one, it was five. And I had heard back then that supposedly the guy got, you know, laid off or something because of recession and couldn't handle it and ended up, you know, killing the family, which is still not acceptable, right? But that's never what I thought it was. What the research, um, it was similar, but... Uh, he, him and his wife both worked at Kaiser Permanente in West LA somewhere. And okay. they were both x-ray technicians. I guess they got caught doing some fraud, some fraudulent paperwork. I guess to get like some kind of a low-income daycare or something like that. So they forged some documents. I'm not sure what they forged. I'm not sure if it was for them or other people, but somehow they got caught up with forging documents and they both got fired. Mind you, it was during the recession, so that's kind of where I got, or maybe they said that they got fired for some reason, right? It makes sense. Yeah, it's similar. So they got fired. He was pretty much like lost control or like enraged of what happened, like kind of was not accepting what happened for probably various reasons. Maybe they were going to lose their home. I don't know. You know, obviously some people take workplace grievances really really hard i mean you always hear those stories like people going back and shooting up a workplace or something i mean they even have a catchphrase going postal and i can't even imagine doing that but some people i guess are emotionally unregulated when it comes to that or they don't think that things will get better again and who knows what goes through their mind right he ended up pretty much i don't know his, there's no logic behind what he did he ended up killing his wife and all five children and then i believe he called the news and pretty much said i killed my wife and children like he told them i don't know if he told them the, the reason he got fired or whatnot but he he reported himself and by the time they went to the home to find him or stop it or whatever or whatever to do something about it he had killed himself that was what a waste of life and that was right there on McFarland and L Street, like literally a few blocks away from the main L Street. And a, yeah. kind of a newer type of home. Uh, I believe they owned the home. We passed by. What do you think of the 
little area right there. I mean, that whole area off of L Street, that whole section is kind of odd off. I mean, you got that industrial area on the other side of the residence, you know, like where, remember years ago, you and I went and our friend, and I want to say it was just in the nighttime and with a big empty lot with like construction stuff. And then it's not too much different now, but it's a little different. It's, it's just weird there. It's just not a good feeling there, but specifically around this house that you're referring to. I think I got more emotionally sad. I don't think I sensed anything paranormal at the moment because, again, we were just in the car passing by. We try to, you know, respect people and, and their privacy. And it's fully loaded. And what I mean by fully loaded is fully loaded with another family or multiple family um, living. You can't help but wonder if they were told. Yeah about the, what happened in this house or if they knew about it i hope they were given some kind of major discount because i i of course i want to live in a you know a, a lovely big victorian with a couple of nice ghosts but i don't know if i want like seven or eight in the middle of trauma and stuff like that it's just uh it's a sad place and if you've ever lived anywhere where there's been death, sometimes that echo imprints itself on the energy of the entire facade of the house, the inside of the house, the whole energy that you breathe inside the house as a family. And can you imagine how sad and melancholy that could be? And that's a good point that I think I have read that the, the realtor has to tell you if somebody died within a certain amount of time yes maybe like five ten years i don't know which i think they probably do legally but did they also give a huge discount because most people weren't gonna want to live in a house that that happened in maybe i hope so I, I guess it depends what kind of like skin you have with that or how much you would care i don't know what do you i don't know you see i know this sounds really silly but like i i don't mind going to some old victorian even if there was like a murder or a murder-suicide, of course, not as heinous with the millions of kids. And I don't want to trivialize it, but like something older, older as like a hundred years old or older as like nearly, you know, a, a whole century. However, something so modern, you know, like something that's so fresh in our psyche that happened not that long ago and way too close to home, literally and figuratively, I don't think I would want to be attached to that. And I think that if it was an offer it would have to be a pretty fucking good offer like a pretty like notable amount knocked off for me to even want to like go in and like lay my head to rest because i'd always think like i wonder which room it happened in like i well, wonder all of them and they have so it, many kids like well it depends all... i mean did he grab them all together or were they all separate rooms i mean that's the things that i would think about and then i would probably as an investigator and as someone who has you know is more sensitive I would probably feel things if there's something there and there's and hopefully they moved on hopefully they're not lingering yeah. even let's say if there was paranormal activity I would probably already imagine it would be from them which may not even be accurate it could be from something previous but I don't think I would ever feel fully settled there I would feel kind of a little bit on edge. I don't think I would want to move there personally. There's nothing significant about it. To that whole family. Definitely. Family, including him. You know, hopefully he was able to make peace with what he did. Or, I mean, the poor innocent children. Again, we never heard anything. We, we never heard if there was any other family that was connected with them or anything. I mean, I'm sure they probably feel terrible as well. 
puncture. Again, just a massive loss of life for no real good reason. And it's really sad. But the building isn't significant. It isn't old and it's not beautiful. And I don't think you could pay me to live there. At least not with my own children. Maybe as like a second home to like do, you know, experiments in, but not with my own family. Also, with the L Street, like, I remember going to the church when I was a kid called Holy Family, which is literally down the streets. During that time, it was like we would be at the church, but it was really like prime time for, for gang violence. We had to, everybody had to be careful where they parked and like where, where you were walking. And during that time, again, there was a lot of like deaths because of like the activity. The rivalry between the east and west side of Wilmington. I don't, I don't know if anybody knows like a documented fact. There was a couple of things I read that it happened um, in the late 80s. It started in the late 80s. If you guys know when that started, let us know. Because yes, educate us. We want to know. I heard it started in the late 80s due to a girl. And I don't know if that's the truth. I mean, I, I there's probably truth in the 80s. It was pretty active, you know, in Los Angeles in general in the 80s. Because I guess at one time they were all united and then it split up, supposedly. So if you guys want to educate us on that history, let us know. The next one that I want to bring up is one that it's kind of a little bit more present to this day. And it was the murder of Christy Alvarez. And that happened. Actually, uh, let's go backtrack a little bit. Let's go to Quinceañera. Because that happened in 2010. And then we'll go back to Christy. Another thing that tainted that part was the Quinceañera, you know, sex offender. Well, shall we say everyone who's ever been to Wilmington, at least been down Avalon, the main downtown Wilmington, I'm sure has seen the the big old brick building. Quinceanera shop, you know, they make clothes there. I've had clothes altered there before. Dresses and stuff, right? Yeah. Well, not just, well, I had a, a dress made for a vampire ball once or added on to at least and altered. But yeah, multiple times I've, I've been there as a customer. And then a couple of times I've also been into the venue. If if you didn't know, it's it's two story, and it it doubles as it, it, it moonlights. So during the week, it's this um, bustling quinceanera shop where they have the tuxes and the dresses and all the extras that you may need. And then on top during the weekend, it becomes a venue, a venue for quinceaneras or baptismal baptismos or whatever they rent it out for. And so I've also been a guest to multiple quinceaneras up there. And it's a death trap because if you've ever walked and gone in the alley behind it where you get into the upstairs, it's this really old rickety staircase to get up there. And in heels? I, I did wear heels at one time, you know, back in the day I'd wear heels and it was ridiculous and scary trying to get up there the the reason we're bringing this up and this was not a murder but it was a very horrible act uh that was it was it led to a conviction so it's not like we're alleging anything but no it led to a conviction and basically the son of the owners of that shop his name is carlos aguirre jr she he was convicted in around 2010 of like multiple counts of rape and molestation of his his nieces or a, there were several i believe but what, uh, one for very long term since she was like five years old and it's very unfortunate because you know a lot of inflicted a lot of trauma he ended up yeah i think it was more than 10 counts of, of 
these uh, acts, but he used to be the videographer. Uh-huh. Yeah, for the quinceañeras and the all the events that would happen for that shop. It's not. I see it. Offenders like these, they're they're predators. So. They know exactly how to approach their prey. He was, everybody knew him as doing this videography and taking photos of, you know, the the people that were having the parties there, you know, whether it's a quinceanera or, a, or other special event. Behind the scenes, he was obviously inflicting this abuse towards his um, own family members. Uh, I guess he ended up getting caught because he, again, with, with any kind of, uh, predators like this it's always hard for them to get prosecuted because you need hard evidence right there's always a lot of he said she said or whatever whoever it is and if there's no dna and all this stuff it just it becomes extremely hard for for a person that goes through that to get caught or even and not just that they're, they're not believed they're afraid they're threatened there's so many factors that go into this anyhow he he ended up getting reported i'm not sure exactly how it came out but a lot of it was because he recorded himself i think it was like an 18 minute video of him abusing the niece a daughter of the so i'm not sure what the label was but it was some kind of niece. family relation he recorded it because obviously he was a videographer he added music to it it was very gory like not you know the way he did it but not only that but he he also had a 12 year old boy helping him to abuse this girl so he groomed this other boy to do the same thing towards the niece he the evidence was there and there's a lot of testimony not just from the niece but other girls that came forward as well he ended up getting convicted i think he got a long time i don't know the game like 90 something 100 years i forget um he was already a predator because he had got convicted before when he was a juvenile for also raping a cousin or some kind of niece and he had done two years in camp or two and a half years. So he had a history of it already. So there's something already there that was mentally wrong. That kind of tainted the whole quinceanera thing. But I don't know if the family ever disconnected from it. Or if they just kind of pretended it didn't happen. I don't know. You were there after it happened or before? What year was he convicted? 2010 around there? I've gone to the shop post the conviction uh-huh. to have alterations on clothes. Mind you, everyone, I didn't know. I really didn't know about it, conviction and what had happened. I want to say that that when I went in there as a guest at the venue, it was pre-2010 because it was like my homegirl days. The family, I'm not blaming them for what he did. Um, I don't know like at all what, what, what their side of it was. And, and I don't want to blame them. Obviously, he was convicted and that's that's it right there. But obviously, they still have their business. So it didn't impact them or anything like that. But it was just weird. I think it probably didn't impact because I think in general, not many, there's been rumors. I remember hearing rumors a couple years back and maybe a couple plus a couple years back. Nothing set in stone and you know how rumors start and we don't always know if they're true. I think that people just don't really know. And I don't think that the family's business should fail because of something that they had no control over and they weren't responsible for. I also do feel, and I don't know this, so please don't say this is just what my opinion and this is generalizing, not just about this family, that if somehow a parent or a relative knew that there was a person that their their loved one was either being abused or that the loved one was abusive, I think that if they had them in the public and had 
gave them opportunity to be around vulnerable people, then they share a little bit of that guilt in a sense. And maybe not a prison guilt. (laughs) They don't deserve to go to prison, but they definitely deserve to have that guilt on their mind. And if their business failed for it, then that's just a product of what their their lack of responsibility or so forth and so on. And we just have to realize with, with being mature adults that if we do have loved ones that commit crimes, we've got to take resp- uh, accountability for in acknowledging that they did commit a crime. And, you know, if they're going to be open to changing in the future that they acknowledge that they did commit crimes and they the victims have to be acknowledged, right? That there's people that are were victims of this, right? As families, I know people tend to blame victims and stuff like that a lot. You have to get to that maturity level and understanding to be under, you know, like, okay, my the person that we know did a crime and they acknowledge it. And I also acknowledge that there are victims involved. All you could do is get better and move forward, right? Sex crimes are a little different in that people who commit sex crimes are a different kind of um, offender because it's something psychological they can't it's an urge that they 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 don't stop and when you have a loved one that's that commits a sex crime I think that if you're going to keep them with you or near you or your home or your business then you have to also take on the responsibility of the fact that they're possibly exposed to your clientele or to your neighbor's And you have to think about that. Now, I'm not saying that they don't deserve to live their life if they've, you know, paid for their crime. But what I'm saying is that they will offend again. The the likelihood of them offending again is very high. So, yeah, and that's actually factually speaking, it's that happens a lot with sex offenders. There's a lot of repetition. I can't say every single one, but this it, it shows that there is more repetition toward that. Again, it could be a brain type of issue and there's there's there has to be more treatment for that or chemical treatment and i'm not i'm not going to get into like they need to be castrated and all this stuff yeah we're not doctors and we're not suggesting anything like that it's just there has been a lot of repetition with with um those offenders for whatever reason due to brain chemical imbalances or whatever it is fortunately and with these two stories in the east side they meant they have these two factors placed and it doesn't help either that in the east side there is a street called flint street where they house sex offenders and the reason that they do that is because again it's back to the industrial area and there's nowhere else that probably adds on to that and the i know that wilmington the residents have fought against that they don't want them near you know the area living in and that's their vicinity however i guess there's really nowhere more industrial place to go than right there yeah and it's been a battle it was a battle of, you know some years ago between the residents and and law enforcement and whatnot placing um people near there because there are still families that live around and it's just big it's really a slippery slope with that it is it really is and so I think that today's episode in our podcast, we definitely wanted to highlight some of the weird eeriness that there is on the East side, but we also want to, as women and, you know, mother, aunt, and so forth, wanted to just remind you to be mindful of your surroundings anywhere, not just in Wilmington, anywhere. And we're definitely, I love Wilmington. 
Yeah. I love Wilmington as a grown woman and meaning that like, I see that it's like a diamond in the rough and we have to remember that Wilmington is one of the very first cities in the greater Los Angeles. And if we didn't have Wilmington, we wouldn't have the booming economy that we have today. We definitely need to praise Wilmington banning for all of that. And I love eat at Rudy's. <laughs> it's like one of the favorite be- breakfast spots to go. It's the best little spot right there. So in no way, shape or form are we putting Wilmington down. We just wanted to talk about how Wilmington on the east side has got some strange kind of energy yeah, around strange it. Strange energy, I would say that. Strange energy. It needs to be cleansed. Definitely. And I love these art walks and Day of the Dead and all the different little festivals that they're bringing in. I think that that's what we need. I think the community, when they go to work and they come home, they lock the doors for many years and didn't really come out because it's so active gang-wise and other criminal um, criminal activity going on in that area, especially. And I think that once you know the residents take in arms and say, hey, this is where we live, this is where we want our, our family to live, you know, we've been here for generations. We don't want this anymore. That's when change happens. And you can see some of it. And it's exciting. It is. Um, There is one last incident, though, that did happen that is more recent. And it's not even more recent as it, it was already from 2012, which is good that there's not bigger incidents happening. Well, at least then that we know of that have been televised, right? The last story uh, we'll share is the death of a young lady named Christy Alvarez. And that happened again in 2012. And she was found pretty much stabbed on L Street on McFarland and Hyatt down the street from, you know, the the liquor store that has all the Chicano murals and stuff near the train tracks. So it was not far from the where the suicide family happened, like literally a block away up the street from the down the yeah up the street from the church and right in the middle of the train tracks there's train tracks that cross that area there uh those are it's a big alameda corridor they go right through there those 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 tracks are still active for imports exports train train business so she was found there well pretty much dead in one day the story with her do you remember yourself when that story happened or did you know later when we went back you know you Honestly, I don't recall that story being televised or high profile where I remember hearing about it via, you know, the news or media. I don't recall it. What happened was that on when I first heard the story, it was also very disturbing because I remember when I heard it, too, because I remember hearing I think there was friends or neighbors talking about it because it was like very gruesome where they people were saying that they heard like a lady screaming at night like that it was you know it was the word was that there was a lady screaming it almost sounded like a baby crying but i guess when you get stabbed in your throat area it kind of distorts your vocal cords and stuff like that that's what was happening during that the incident which is like very Uh, yeah it just gave me the chills right now when you said that so the the neighbor that heard the screams thought it was a baby <gasps> or something like that it was a very it was a mystery for a long time they found her um the story was that you know she was a mother of a couple of children she apparently worked at a bakery early hours i guess they were saying that she was going to work and then they don't really know what happened much after that and then they just found her dead like the next day when there is somebody walking their dog through that area and then there was there was a trial uh, so what happened they found the person that did it 
maybe I don't I don't want to I can't say the timeline to win, but they did eventually find the perpetrator, and his name was Angel Guerabello. And there was a trial, and it, it did go through trial, so it took a few years, uh, probably more than a year to get through the trial and everything like that. The re- the interesting part was that this person was ended up getting caught because I guess they told their friend one time whether they're cleaning out his car. He, he brought it up, I guess, oh, I, you know, I ended up fucking this girl up, like, because uh, she was trying to take over my spot when i was reading through the court documents and the family uh, apparently didn't know this either uh, i don't know uh but i guess there was a uh, video surveillance they were saying that chrissy was a sex worker i i didn't know that till i read some of the documents uh the appeal documents but apparently uh she was leaning towards that because they, she wanted to move and help the family out i don't know we can't say because this is a fa- this is what's on record that they're using that like from I guess what happened was what they, they were saying on record was that she, in the early hours, um, I'll read what it says. Christy Alvarez left home at 4.40 a.m. and sur- at 5.50 surveillance seen her walking in the area. In the early morning of January 2nd, 2012, Chris- Christy Alvarez left home and drove to an area where she worked as a sex worker. A surveillance camera recorded her car parked and captured Alvarez walking in the area between 4.40 a.m. and 5 o'clock a.m. Between 4.45 a.m. and 5.30 a.m., a white car resembling the car driven by Goyarbelo, a another sex worker also worked in the area, drove past the same surveillance camera three times. And then at 4.45 a.m., a resident in the apartment across the street from the nearby rail yard heard a woman scream, and that was the screams that I heard, and a car resembling Goyarbelo's car parked at the yard the resident saw and made eye contact with the driver who the resident looked like a hispanic man in his 30s later that day a woman walking a dog discovered alvarez body in the rail yard investigators determined alvarez died from blunt force trauma to the head and a deep knife wound to her neck that's kind of how it came up that you know she was trying to make money to help the family there was a person that killed her was jealous of her beauty and her and ended up and upset about her being in her same area and ended up killing her. That's what the court documents say. So it was very odd, like kind of that new twist, which I didn't know about that. But when I looked further during the trial, the the family also didn't know, but they did bring it up to the family and they didn't know. But regardless, it doesn't mean that she should have been killed. Yeah, right? it doesn't take off the this the painful fact that she's gone. And she didn't deserve to die, and especially not that way. The twist to it, too, was that the the person that killed her described himself as a transgender woman. I, apparently, during the murder, they they were not transitioned yet, and they transitioned during the their incarceration. Uh, maybe they dressed like a woman, but weren't transitioned fully. I, I don't know the details about that, but I know during the trial, the brother was, during his statement, was really obviously upset and was upset at the fact that they transitioned into a woman during incarceration and they like all almost to get pity i guess he was making it like you know to get pity because they were a woman they described themselves as a woman now and he was feeling like it was a manipulative thing i mean maybe that person did live as a woman but transitioned during the thing whatever it was it still was very wrong 
as far as like the whole thing anyway yes it's very brutal so that person is still appealing their case the offender and they're they're appealing it for various reasons because i guess they told their friend what happened like i was telling you and now the offender is saying that the friend was coerced and all kinds of things and you know they have a right to appeal so they're trying to appeal it it didn't work out they're upholding the sentence that's kind of what it is it's interesting because right there on l street they have kept the memory of christy uh, whoever the family is keeps her name there flowers and there's always things right there showing that she's remembered there is it's nice to see and a stark reminder you know again not to to backtrack too much but just be careful of your surroundings and always let someone know where you're going to be at where you're going and it's it's not it's it's a good thing because you just never know the east side of it has the history from its foundation of the banning house and phineas creating wilmington right so there's very deep roots that are there so that's very already a statement there you know this is where wilmington was births right it also has that dark side to it where a lot of things have occurred that have i think gave it that negative energy that kind of still comes out here and there and i mean there's several factors i mean again it's industrial there might be there's not many resources there it's kind of forgotten so many reasons right all of them attribute to that negative feeling that eerie feeling and that lost feeling However, things, you know, have gotten better over the years as far as less, I guess, killings and and stuff like that. So that's a a good thing. I know LA, you know, lately has been having a lot of uh, crimes in in the summertime mostly happening, but it has definitely lessened since the 80s and 90s. So hopefully it doesn't go to those levels. Like you said earlier, there are groups of people that do want to bring a different light to Wilmington, especially that area. Shout out to a history collector. When we have people on, we interviewed him in one of our podcasts, and he definitely wanted to reminisce about his experience in the drum barracks, which is just down the street from the batting. There's really positive things there. Again, we're not, you know, dumping on the city. We love the city, hence the reason why we're talking about it. We, we appreciate the city, but we have to also describe, you know, the, the pros and the cons, the good and the bad. They are revitalizing the Wilmington, what is it, the Wilmington Historical Society? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so with um, that, it's, it, it, sh- it can shine a new light into the city where you can see its roots and we can see its dark, you know, underbelly of criminal activity and or dark history but then we can also come together and we can make it better it's really just up to us that's true and just hopefully the getting more resources into Wilmington like with history we we can't it's not always like rainbows and butterflies and hence the reason why we need the critical uh race theory it's just it's not there's the beautiful Phineas Banning coming here but what happened to the indigenous people on the land before he was here? What about all the years coming? What about the fact that we have some of the biggest polluters? Refineries. The refineries. <laughs> and I mean, in Wilmington, right there off of what is that? Gomita, the carousels, which is not that far from the area we're talking about. And it's really close to where I live as well. That whole, the carousel community, a, a lot of them came 
had um cancer because they were built on top of like toxic waste i mean this is just a shitty it's a great place and they've done so much shitty ass stuff to it yeah and we're just like forgotten in the harbor area when you think of the harbor area i don't know i think people maybe think of san pedro and that's all they think of the fish market going on sundays to the fish market maybe that's all they think about and it's amazing it's got a rich history but it also has a very ugly history that hopefully you know we can make we'll never forget about it and we have to talk about it because if we don't if we forget about it then how do we know how to continue to make it better there's other factors too like the refineries and that are hurting people in other ways right with pollution and toxins there's been several explosions in wilmington that have hurt people um, not just with cancer but like their homes because there's been explosions that literally destroyed windows and all kinds of stuff it's really weird and scary and there are advocates that try to regulate these refineries to make sure that the level of the toxins are not super high because at one time you could smell Wilmington it was very smelly because of all the pollution that there was there now it's better so much better and there was a lot of oil production so there used to be a lot of oil derricks in people's yards and whatnot and there's just like a lot of that people that have been on top of that have been doing great but yeah definitely like people that are 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 the council members and all those people that just focus on the pretty cities need to really not be so turn their back to places like Wilmington. Yeah, get, get their thumbs out of their asses and start like raising their hands for donations. And we really, and a lot of, to be fair, a lot of the refineries and other programs around here are giving back to the community. Is it enough? I don't know. I think they they could probably do better and we need to make the the companies that work in our area accountable for the citizens and we we just need to continue. And not just to like criminalize or demonize, you know, Wilmington, but also just in the way what prevents that resources, uh, more attention, more beautifying and stuff like that to the education, education, psychoeducation, life skills education, health education, so many things that could help some of these things be prevented. Transportation. I mean, we could go on and on with that, but yeah. On and on. So, <laughs> thank you for listening to to these stories from the East Side. And, you know, if there's any interesting, odd, dark history from wherever you live in this area, let us know. And follow us on Beyond the Facade podcast. Follow me, Doña Junta, on Swami Chronicles. You could say your handles. Follow me at Observing Spooks and other vices. You can just type it in like that. There's underscores too, but I don't think it's necessary. So just Observing Spooks and other uh, vices. You can follow my personal page, but it's just selfies. So it's better to go to Observing Spooks. Don't forget we're on YouTube. You can find us on YouTube too. Yeah, so some of the people that are more visual, we're on YouTube. Well, we'll get a studio, then we'll be popping. But we're yeah, we'll- we're in the works. But <laughs> you guys have to be kind of you know active too, and let us know what you want to hear, so we can yeah. make sure that we're pushing out content that you want. Otherwise, we're going to continue doing what we want, and we love that shit anyway. So thank you for listening, and we'll see you guys on the next one. Have a good one. Bye. Bye. Bye.